Hey, what is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Pain to Profits. I'm your host, Samson Jagoris, and every single week we unpack the knowledge, wisdom, and expertise of entrepreneurs to help you guys save time and level up on your entrepreneurial journey so you guys can go from pain to profits. And today we're talking about partnerships. We got two incredible partners uh, who work in the insurance space who are going to share a lot about their journey into entrepreneurship, the trials and tribulations that they've gone through, are going through, and the power of having a great partner. So without further ado, Dylan, Jeremy, welcome to the pod. Hey, What's man. Up? Thanks for having us. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you guys a ton. Um, it's funny how small this world is because we've all been connected by like one degree of separation for a minute. Yeah. And then Dylan and I met because our kids were going to school together. Mm-hmm. And then one day Holt shows up. That's right. Getting after it flexing, at the gym that I own. Flexing, flexing his yeah. muscles. Yeah. <laughs> his big old muscles. Smiling and dialing. But man. we've been connected on social media for years. Forever. And we like knew yeah. each other, but never really hung out. Yeah. And you've helped a lot of people who I know with insurance over the years. So, um, But what I want to do is I want to go back in time. I want to talk a little bit more about you guys individually and then kind of part that story together on how you came together as partners. Um, Dylan, we'll kind of start with you, man. Yeah. Were you always an entrepreneur? Where'd you grow up? I mean, I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania. I grew up in a small town called Ligonier. My parents were non-entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad was an art teacher. My mom was a school nurse. And uh, But my grandfather, John Bellino, he, he owned a uh, mechanic shop in Pittsburgh and a uh, gas station. Great stories from Grandpap. <laughs> Grandpap. About like robberies that went bad. And <laughs> so, But I didn't really know what an entrepreneur was. Didn't even know how to spell it. Yeah, I still struggle with yeah. smelling entrepreneur yeah. sometimes. Uh, is but my name the- is my name is the hardest thing in my world. <laughs> my mom messed that up. When I was entrepreneur, entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, but no, I grew up in a great, great household. Uh, baseball, hockey, fishing, a lot of time with parents in the summer. So it was, it was a wonderful life. Yeah. Uh, but I always had, had dreams of of uh, living out west. It's kind of like, that's kind of what you do if you grew up in a coal mining area. Like, hey, move west, son. There's opportunity there. And where I grew up, like, there's everything. I go back and everything is just closed. You know, cars, car um, dealerships are closed. You know, restaurants are closed. There's nothing there. There's very little entrepreneurship or opportunity. It's yeah. it's really unfortunate to what, see. What do people do? Just work at the mine then? Uh, you know, in Ligonier, Ligonier is a really clean, beautiful town. Um, it was. It's always been more of like a pretty conservative agricultural town. Okay. And then it's education. And then you have like Latrobe, which is where Kenna Metals, there's Kenna Metal Steel Mills. Rolling Rock Beer, Arnold Palmer, that's what Latrobe is. That's where uh, St. Vincent College is. That's where the Pittsburgh Steelers train for, you know, their, their training camp. How far away is that? And that's only, it's only five miles, ten miles okay, from, well. from Ligonier. Not far at all. You have to go through like a, uh, a mountain canyon yeah. and you're there. Uh, and, then, and then you're only about, you're, I'm about 50 miles east of Pittsburgh. Got it. Yeah, my dad grew up in Churchill. Mom grew up in Philadelphia, Japan, all these other places. She's all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, but then uh, just I loved fishing. My dad was a just absolute enthusiast about the fly fishing, and just uh, I played baseball, and then I played hockey, and I fished. And once I realized I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, <laughs> I was like, man, I don't want to sit in traffic and smell mufflers and have a job. I'm not into that. I'm going to be a fishing guide. So I, I moved to Steamboat Springs while I was in college. Uh, I went to Lock Haven University, which is in Central PA. The whole reason why I went to Lock Haven is because the only college that actually accepted me. <laughs> I remember doing my SAT. I literally just filled it in like a Christmas tree, got accepted. I was like, cool, going to Lock Haven. 
I'm gonna go fishing. They're like, dude, 500s gets you in. SAT it was, I think, I like, it was literally like an 850 or something real yeah. bad, right? And but Lockhaven accepted me, and I had the best trout fishing in the state of Pennsylvania. So that's why I went there. Yeah. I took a joke major called recreation management. So I, I believe at least <laughs> graduated in three years and got to Steamboat Springs to be a fishing guy. That was my goal. Yep. My parents were both educators, so they really wanted me to have a college education for Plan B, right? Like yeah. always, like the best way to ruin someone's life. Say, hey. Make sure you have a plan B. Yeah. Like your kid wants to play football real bad. Like, well, you make sure you have a plan B. That way, if you fail, it's like, no, man. Like, yeah. You're not going to fail. The lukewarm entrepreneurs listening to this right now, you get your foot in, foot yeah. out. I'm, I'm, I got a side hustle. Mm. Yeah. No, it's just a hustle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Never going to make it. So, you're fishing guy. At what point did you meet your wife? So, I met Ashley about a month before I moved to Steamboat Springs. And uh, we talked on the phone for a year. Wow. Was, I, remember, I remember sitting on my back porch and Growing up in southwestern Pennsylvania, you don't see a full moon. It's cloudy. There's a lot of trees, right? Winter's yeah. gray. It's long. Yeah. And I remember sitting out on the, on the back porch. It was like October. I'm like, wow, look at that full moon. I don't think I've ever seen a full moon before. I'm 21 years old. Like, this is amazing. And I just loved Colorado. It was amazing. Yeah. But um, went back. I was deathly afraid of, of public speech. So I thought I'd be able to graduate college without taking a, a public speech class. Yeah. So I'm a senior, you know, well, actually I, was a graduate, I thought I graduated a junior, but they called me up like, hey, you're missing three credits of speech communication, like Dang. public speech. <laughs> you got to come back and take it at Lockhaven. Otherwise, we can't give you a diploma. I was like, just keep it. I don't want it. <laughs> not going to do it. <laughs> I'm fishing. Deathly afraid of public speech, man. Just like yeah. stood up. I just want to puke, right? Just beat red, red faced. Which is crazy Super because you're, such a, you're so eloquent. You're such a great speaker. Well, I had to, I had to read books and, and jump into a bunch. I uh, did uh, uh, Toastmasters. I, just, I knew what I sucked at. Yeah, I knew if I was I was going to be successful in, in anything, it was I need to learn how to speak, you know, publicly in front of people. But I, yeah, the long story short, fly fishing guide for almost five years. Met wonderful people. Um, started a property management business with my wife Ashley when I was up in Steamboat. A lot of my clients they they own second homes, third homes, and. Uh, as a fishing guide, you're making 20 grand in the summer, then you're skiing all winter. Yeah. That's what you're doing. And you're, you'd live there for lifestyle. But um, um, Ashley was a, was a nanny for a really wealthy family in Steamboat. And he said, Hey, I have a property. Can you just manage it for me? Here's a, here's a business opportunity for you and your, your boyfriend. And uh, we started Dash Properties and we rented out his property. And then we, I talked to a couple of my clients. They had second, third properties and we, We'd rent them out for twenty five percent, and we're—I mean, we're twenty three year old kids from southwestern Pennsylvania. We grew up broke. Uh, we had everything we needed, right? But we didn't have any money. Um, you know, like old Pontiac Sunfire cars. You know, Jeremy can talk about oh, that. Like, such, like <laughs> Toyota. Yeah, you know, just you know, twenty year old vehicles that were square from yeah. the from the eighties, right? Yep. And uh, anyway, we—I we, remember renting out these homes that were beautiful for a thousand bucks a night. Over Christmas, and we'd charge them 250 bucks as far as what our service fee was. We'd have four homes. We were making a thousand bucks a night as a couple broke kids from Pennsylvania. And I was like, oh my God, we struck a rich. Like, can you believe we're making money while we're sleeping? That's like, this is unbelievable. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Spent every penny. Yeah. (laughs) Had no idea. So you you kind of fell into entrepreneurship. Yeah, fell into it there. Right place, right time. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like your first stint. 
That was first stint. Yeah, uh, fly fishing guide. You're you're a 1099 private contractor, but right. that was That's my kind first of entrepreneurship. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, no taxes. Cool, man. Nice. <laughs> like, wait a second. Wait, do you have to pay those? Yeah, at the end of the yeah. So what is this? What is this? Who's FICA? Like, what is this? <laughs> So that was that was the beginning. Yeah, that's funny yeah. that you do benefits now too. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> Jeremy, how about you, man? You, you're a Jersey guy, right? Yeah, um, fellow East Coaster, uh, born and raised in a little town called Hackettstown, New Jersey. Uh, our claim to fame is we have one of two M M&M and M Mars plants. So mm-hmm. depending on the time of year, it smells like rotten chocolate or butter. Um, <laughs> The uh, the campus for M M&M and Mars was was right in the middle of town. Pretty much forty percent of people worked there. Small little area uh, in New Jersey. They always say, I mean, you can drive ten miles and go through six towns in New Jersey. It's that that small, but it'll take yeah. you an hour and a half to do it. Right. Yeah. So, um, mom and dad got divorced at the age of five. My, went and lived my me and my two brothers went and lived with mom. Actually, went and lived with our grandparents for five years. So mom could afford uh, to put us up in an apartment. We stayed in the Hackettstown area, but like at the bottom of the mountain. So the top of the mountain, over the mountain, in the valley is where all the rich kids were. We were the family of four that was living in a two-bedroom apartment at the bottom. But I got to go to school with kids that, I mean, their first car was brand new Dodge Durangos and Yukons and one kid out of 69 Camaro and Isuzu Rodeos. Yeah. No, those were, those were <laughs> banned. <laughs> Just the, the sidekick, only sidekicks were allowed. I had, a, I had a similar experience. Everybody drove like when we were growing up, everybody's yeah. driving the Yukon. That was like the car. That was it. Know? And I pull up in my like 87 blazer where yeah. the windows don't roll down and Jimmy. have no stereo. Yeah. Let's go. 1200 bucks. Get Nin- some. 1988 <laughs> Nissan Stanza was the first car. Ooh, that's we, sexy. We like called that. it, we called it Georgie, Georgie Costanza. So, <laughs> Uh, until Georgie met a met a light pole, um, <laughs> that's a different story for a different pot. Yeah, when I was going to a soccer game, but yeah, no. Um, single mom saw dad maybe once every two years, every three years. Uh, when he decided to come around, uh, you know, he's one of those guys you love to hate. You love him because he's dad, but you hate him because of everything he did when you were a kid. Um, so really, all we knew was grandparents and mom. Mom, for the most part. Um, I mean, similar to Dylan, not at all an entrepreneur family, more just get to work. So my mom was a, she was awesome. Uh, she did what she could. Uh, same thing with Dylan. I mean, we had everything we needed, but money was never an option. Mm-hmm. I learned to budget uh, when I was 10. I mean, I went I went grocery shopping with a blank check at, at A&P, the grocery store. My mom walked me over, introduced me to the manager, gave the sign off, said, hey, my son's going to come with a check signed for me. He's got a $50 budget per week. He's going to shop for groceries. So that's, that was kind of like my, I, I wouldn't call it, it's by no means an entrepreneur, but it taught me a life lesson back at 10 of like, okay, you got to go to work, you got to budget your money, you got to plan accordingly, and this is how life is done. Um, and if I wanted anything, I mean, I, I got to work when I was 14. So yeah. I think that was kind of the beginning for me, started at McDonald's. Um, I think back then when you're 14, you're only allowed to work 18 hours a week at 414 an hour. So it was really crushing it. Yeah. $4.14. $4.14. But yeah. it's all right. Cause when I turned 17, raceway gas was 85 cents. Yeah. So it wasn't like, it wasn't too bad to drive around back then. Um, but just, just took after my mom. She had two jobs. I was the middle, middle of three kids. So I kind of took the responsibility of my older brother, phenomenal, love him to death, but he went down a, a path of fun, you know, debauchery, uh, quit school four months before he was about to graduate for a girl, 
ended up getting his GED. You know, he's doing great now, you know, wife, kids, the whole nine yards, but I was kind of the glue. Yeah. (laughs) I was the glue, uh, between the whole family and, and just learned, you know, I mean, I was making pasta with meat sauce like no one else at 12. Yeah. Just crushing it. Just surviving. (laughs) Yeah. Ramen delights, you know, on repeat. And, um, yeah, that was kind of my, my start, uh, got a taste of Colorado when I was 19. So I, I went to college, County College of Morris, affiliate of Rutgers. So got credits at Rutgers, went to the County College route. So I had classes at both, but it was a lot less expensive going to County College, but getting, you know, Rutgers accreditation, That's cool. um, hated it. Absolutely hated it. I mean, I was, you know, Dylan, to Dylan's point, he had to read books in order to get it. I hated reading. I read one book my entire life, cover to cover, um, Hit and run, hit and run by R.L. Stein. Right when I was oh, in I sixth grade, that. and I, I sat on my kitchen uh, on the bathroom sink with like crawled up into a position, feet on this end, and I would go like shut the door for like forty five minutes a night until I finished. I forced myself in sixth grade to read it and realized that was terrible. And then when audiobooks came out, I, I can't get enough. I'm probably three four a month at this point. Yeah. But don't don't have me sit down and read something for a long period of time. <laughs> I don't I don't proofread. I don't do any of that. Um, so I just, I just learned that, uh, you know, college wasn't for me. I started working, uh, for a Volkswagen dealership back East. I started as a lot assistant, got into a sales assistant. Um, and it was super high volume. So I was having to do every aspect of sales, um, but not getting credit for the sale. So I was basically, there was six, um, salespeople. It was a phenomenal dealership where they didn't flood it with 20, 30 sales guys. It was six and they, it was by appointment only. And they had five, six appointments a day. These guys were crushing it, making two, 300 grand a year back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. I mean, it just was done the right way. Um, but I learned so much from that. I mean, I was pitching the cars. I was telling them about the new Volkswagens. I learned every in and out of every car on that market. I knew what gas to put in and not to put diesel in a regular gas and watched a, a, a new diesel bug get regular gas put in it and the motor blew up. And I was like, I never want to be like that guy. So I better learn all of this. And then uh, came out to Colorado to visit, fell in love with it. Um, this is when I was 19 years old, said, I'm done with school. I'm going to move out to Colorado. Um, and rest is history. Been out here since 2001. What was the first job you got out here? Um, quit. I mean, technical job. I was working for a guy called Osprey home improvements, doing painting. It was short stint. Uh, I only remember it vividly because I was actually sick as a dog on 9-11. So I was out and my cousin and I both moved out here. My older brother had already been out here before me and uh, my roommate came banging on my door and I was just sick as a dog. And she's like, you got to come out here and look at the news. And I turned it on. I'm like, oh my God. So I call my, (laughs) call my cousin who's up on a ladder and he puts me on speakerphone and and my boss goes, I thought you were sick. What are you doing calling us? I was like, the World Trade Center just blew up. Like, that's why I'm calling you, right? By the way, I quit. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was it. That was my last day. I never, I never went back. But I remember being out here. From there on, I actually, my first true job, which was probably my biggest learning experience, uh, was sales for a company called True Green Chemlon. So lawn care company. Uh, walked in day one. They handed me a stack of papers, you know, that thick, that half of it, the writing on it was so old. They were such old leads and it's like, here you go. You're gonna make 250 calls a night. 
<laughs> and the objective is to sell five lawn applications or more. Good luck, and put me in a, put me in a spare room and old school just, baby. Yeah, that was it. That was cut boiler my, room. Yeah. That's also when people answer the phone. They did. Yeah, that's good it. or bad, they answered the phone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, rotary phones with long string. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah like, those are the best. Well, yeah. a couple of things I just want to pull yeah. out of that, and you, all of us are very similar sitting at this table right now, which is we grew up blue collar, we played sports, money was hard to come by. But what we lacked in money, we made up for and hard work and Great. work ethic. And yeah. and then college was modestly successful. The only reason I went to college is because I played ball. Yeah. And and uh, C's get degrees. I lived up to that for sure. Yeah, I got one degrees. A in my entire. <laughs> and that was in football? <laughs> <laughs> Barely. It was just in one class that I actually enjoyed, which yeah. was uh, genetics, which I thought was yeah. the coolest thing ever. Oh, cool. Um, but, yeah, barely, barely got. Funny story, uh, going into my junior summer, Sure. which is supposed to be like the best summer of college, right? I get a call from my advisor and he's like, I got some bad news for you. We sit down. I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, you got to take physics one and two this summer. And if you don't pass, you can't play. I'm like, bro, you got to be kidding me. So yeah, so it, was a rough, with that or? it was rough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very rough. Actually, our, our, uh, Kicker was super smart. He was an aerospace engineer, so he would tutor me. He tutored, for yeah, yeah. He's a guy that like memorizes, uh, you know, equations in his head. Yeah. Yeah, he's just a Texas. I would get, I would amazing. get a whole, a whole like you know note card I could bring like the size of this sheet of paper right here, and I still couldn't pass the test. You know? So yeah, hey man, well, can't say it was the sharpest. A students work for C students. Yeah, that's this, how, it's that's true. It so, but then and then all of us went and got uh, stents and sales, and I think yep. that's you know, pretty important if you're going to do anything in entrepreneurship that yeah. a stint in sales is, is vital. But I always think it's funny that, you know, a bunch of blue collar <laughs> guys make that transition over into the white collar industry. And so how the heck did you guys get into insurance? Like, um, yeah. What was yeah. the path? Each of you uh, kind of separate. Yeah. Thing. Completely different. Yeah. Right? yeah so as well, I was a fly fishing guy, I'm standing in the middle of the Yampa river outside of Milner and I'm taking a guy from Chicago names, his name is Dick Bernardi. His son, Zach Bernardi, and the guy by the name of Jason Jarvis Fishing. And um, I, I didn't know these guys at all. They just booked me, took them fishing on this private section. Talking to Dick, he owns a company called Windsor Foods. Incredible man. Awesome guy. Um, he actually passed away a year later. Uh, he got pancreatic cancer. and went really quick, but just he made a big impact on me. And one of the, the guys that he was fishing with, who came with us, he was, it's funny, loved the guy to death. He, uh, he, was, been a, he was a business partner of mine for 12 years. He, um, he wasn't listening. He wasn't listening to me teaching him what to do on drift, cast, et cetera. And my dad was visiting with me. I said, hey, dad, you want to come with me? I'm taking three guys fishing today. You can just come and hang out and take pictures. Yeah, sure, Dale, you bet. So I'm like, I sent him across. I sent this guy that wasn't listening to me across the river. I was like, Dad, can you take care of him? He's not listening to me. Just, just let him flail. Just let him sit there and get knots. And like, he's not listening. Just let him have fun. That guy turns out to be the guy that recruits me in the insurance business. His name is Jason Jarvis. Love him, like I said. A um, uh, couple years goes by. I'm still in Steamboat. He comes in every once in a while and, and says hi to me at Straight Line Sports. Uh, I moved to Fort Collins. My wife and I, Ash and I, got in the Amway business, and we we were pretty excited about residual income, and we just we fell in love with the business, and that's actually how I came to my faith with Christ. Went to John Maxwell convention, oh cool, and and he was he was speaking, and it was it was wonderful. But um, I moved to Fort Collins, get a job at Twenty Four Hour Fitness. I'm slinging gym memberships. I run into Jason Jarvis at the Spicy Pickle across the street. He goes, "What are you doing here?" I said, "What are you doing here?" I thought you're from Chicago. He's like, no, I live here. I own an insurance company. I'm like, well, I just moved here. 
a year ago, I'm selling gym memberships. He's like, you need to get in the insurance business. I was like, what's that? <laughs> never had that before. Yeah, <laughs> never had that. Is that, you know, they're with the spicy pickles. So he's like, no, I'm serious. You need, you need to sit down with me. So I, for like six months, we dated, right? Just talked, went, met at Mulligan's. Yep. And uh, after a little while, 24 Fitness was like, hey, you need to change your work schedule where you have to work from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. every day. And while I was building the Amway business, I was working from 8 to 5 then I'd leave, then I'd go and do presentations down in Colorado Springs, Denver, all over the state, Nebraska, et cetera. And I, w- and I would be driving, doing presentations at 7, get done at 8.30, and then I'd drive home, get home at midnight, 1 o'clock, and I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. So I called, I called Jason. I said, hey, is that insurance gig still available? He goes, yeah. I was like, I'm in. Yeah. You didn't That's know what like, you No for. idea. They're like, we'll pay you 30 grand just to open doors for me. And then, and just, and we'll, we'll close the deal, but you got to open up the doors. And I said, done, I can do that. Sounds good. That's, that's how I got in the insurance business. Never meaning for it to be my lifestyle income. I was, we always thought we were going to just be really successful in the network marketing industry. And it turned out that insurance just for us blew it out of the water. Yeah. I mean, insurance is like network marketing on steroids. If you do it right. You're right. And that's, yeah. that's where I learned. I learned my communication skills through Worldwide Dream Builders, through the Amway business. Yeah. If it wasn't for that, I'd, I'd still be a fishing guide. And that's such good wisdom. I mean, I, I think that, you know, network marketing, if you've, it's a probably like a good first step, you know, if you can't it get is. out there and knock if, doors. If you and, don't know, yep. you know, it's, there's so many of them and a lot of them are pitching products. And yep. uh, I was just really fortunate that the only one I ever saw as young, innocent, you know, just not knowing anything about business at all. Yeah. Um, the, the the mentoring program of Worldwide Dream Builders is the best one, I think, on planet Earth. If you don't know anything about business yeah. and you're terrible at communication and you want to do like make something of your life, the Worldwide Dream Builders mentoring program, the books they ask you to read, or they don't tell you to read them. They just, hey, this is what you recommend. You're, you're a putz. You don't know how to communicate. Like You need help. Yeah. This isn't just about pitching soap, right? Like, yeah. like You have to better your life. You have to better your marriage. You have to understand your finances. Like that's what that's, that did for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. How about you? Uh, completely different. Um, I think the going back to the the True Green Chemlon days, that's what got me. I was always personable, right? Outgoing, kind of the goofy one, wasn't the tall, you know, attractive jock or, you know, the musician that was just the rock star. I was just the guy that was there. So I kind of had to find a niche and class clown, funny, always willing to talk, didn't matter. Um, but deep down inside, like super emotional and nervous is all hell, right? Like no one really knew when I would get up on stage and, and even sing back then, like borderline shitting my pants. Like I was like, this is, <laughs> this is not going to go well until like something just clicked and you like tune everybody out and it was good. But at, uh, at true green, I, I advanced from the paper stack to actually hitting the streets. Uh, and it went from 250 phone calls a day to 250 door knocks, uh, then to had super good success doing that to then running a team of 17, you know, knocking on doors and, and so on and so forth. But to Dylan's point, it got to a point where I was coming in at, at eight thirty nine 9 o'clock every morning and working till nine o'clock every night and Saturdays included. So it was like, uh, brutal got out of, decided to get out of that, go into the, the motorcycle world, um, selling bikes. It's awesome. Loved it. Uh, until I got a MySpace request from what's now my wife. Nice. I hadn't talked to her in six years, and she goes, I heard you were back home, and you didn't see me. And I was like, who are you? 
right? I for for you all you young bucks listening to this, MySpace <laughs> was the prequel to Facebook. So yeah. yeah, you could put music on there. It was just like super. Tom is still still friends with Tom from, from MySpace. <laughs> you still have a MySpace account? <laughs> no, no, I probably do. Never shut it down. But we should bring it back right on this pod, right? Yeah, bring it back MySpace. That's it. Whoever, but, whoever's listening to this, if you can send me your MySpace account and show me that you actually still own it, yeah. I will give you a free year to our newsletter. <laughs> you're that cool in my book. I'm going to go hunt for mine tonight. Yeah. Yeah. OG. Don't OG, me OG social media. Google. It'll get me there. But uh, I ended up moving back to New Jersey, crazy enough, in 2007. So my wife and I reconnected, um, flew out five times in three months, fell in love with her. Uh, she's like, move back to Jersey. I said, move to Colorado. She said, no way. Neither one of us had anything really good going on at that point. So I up and left um, and it was struggle back in Jersey. It was a ton uh, of work. It was expensive, like $1,700 for a one bedroom apartment. Um, and I had no job, right? I mean, I was, it was going out there. I probably had 20 grand in the bank and you know, it, that lasted maybe three months, right? Living, affording a car that I had a payment on food, having fun, so on and so forth. So um, I actually went and started the interview process with a company called ADP. Mm. ADP, as, as you guys probably all know, big payroll organization. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. It took me nine interviews, and that was their normal process. Wow. Uh, two full role plays, which was nerve-wracking, like beyond nerve-wracking. I had to sell something. I don't even – I think it was a chair, right? Sell this chair to me, right, instead of the pen or whatever <laughs> it may be. So I did. They told me the biggest – biggest uh, my biggest downfall, I got the job, but you need to work on your eye connection. Right. Like you're, you're not, you don't look people in the eyes. And I told him, I said, I apologize, but I'm legally blind in one eye. And he goes, okay. And I'm like, I have the super self-conscious about my eyes. Cause I don't know which direction my right eye is going. Right. If I'm drunk, you're like, there he is. Cause it's gone. It just sinks in <laughs> and goes away. Right. It's, it's over. So I was just born with no muscle functionality in my right eye and face to face was super self-conscious about it. The whole time I would look down, look to the side, like, you know, if I didn't know you, like I wasn't looking at you, Yeah. Um, but I had to, right. I had to learn that. And I, they, they taught me like, no matter what you do here in Jersey, you better look somebody in the eye. Right. And I, I remember vividly my first meeting about five foot five Italian um, accountant right on the water uh, in uh, Jersey city overlooking New York. I go, we set an appointment. And the first thing he says to me is how fucking long are you going to be here? And I go, what, uh, well, the, the appointment I, is for a half hour. And he's like, no. He's like, I see a new one of you every six months. How long are you going to be here? I was like, well, I hope to make this my career, sir. And he goes, all right, sit down. Right, like that. So I learned <laughs> that's, that's in that meeting, learned in that meeting, well, whether Jersey you plan inside. on being here long enough, you better tell them the right thing that they want to hear to at least keep this meeting going. So uh, speed up, 10 months, hated New Jersey, wanted back to Colorado. I told my wife, I love you, but I'm going with or without you. She said, okay, I'll come. Moved back to at the very end. So moved out there in like March of 2007, uh, December 28th. We got in both of our vehicles in U-Haul and moved out here. Uh, started payroll out this way. Um, but I was giving all of my referrals away. So part of building my network, my book of business, was asking the questions that nobody else would ask. Who's your banker? Who's your CPA? Who does your insurance? Who's your 401k? So I was looking for avenues that I can go give you the 401k guy a lead and you give me one in return or whatever it may right. be, right? Like give before you shall receive. That's just how I've, I've always been. Um, and along the way, met a couple good insurance agents and both of them, I had a couple agencies saying, same thing to Dylan, why don't you just come sell insurance? And I was like, Ugh. 
seems like a lot of work, insurance. I don't, it's not really interesting to me. And the exact same thing, you know, to Dylan's point, they said, well, there's residual income. You don't have to start over every year. And I was like, sweet, sweet. When are we going to, when are we going to meet? Like, I want to do this. And, uh, that was 2011, 2012. Um, very similar, similar guy that, uh, Dylan and I knew each other through 24 hour fitness, knew that he was in, in the insurance world. Jason met him along the way. Um, a couple other agencies in town interviewed with both decided to go work the same route that, that Dylan was. And that kind of started our partnership way back. We were, Jason and I were sitting at Moxie Java. Remember where Moxie Java was? How vaguely. It's where Gabe's bagels is now across okay. from, from the yeah. group on harmony. Yep. Jarvis and I are sitting there and this, this guy pulls up with, would you have a stanza still? Mm-mm. What'd you have? <laughs> Probably a Volkswagen. Back Volkswagen. He, he had something in his whole back. Uh, is, 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 oh, everything it had, had TLC payroll on it. Oh yeah. I was like, this Subaru. guy, this guy's just running yeah, around schlepping payroll. Right. Yeah. And, and Jason looks at me, and goes, we got to hire that guy. I was like, really? I was like, I know Jersey. He's like, you need to, you need to introduce him to me. What did he say? What was the reason? He's like, that's the guy you want to hire. Because, because he had payroll, a hustle, payroll, payroll he yeah. understood the connection between yeah. those two things. He yeah, he knew every, yeah and, you know, he probably wrote payroll for 500 companies in Northern Colorado, right? So just that's, 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 and I, and me being as great, I was only two years in the insurance business, I think at that mm-hmm. time. I was like, huh. And then Jeremy came in, Jeremy interviews a couple companies. He decides to partner with us at, at that agency in, in Johnstown. And he came in and radically opened our eyes to how much we really didn't know how to create opportunities and mm. not just for yourself, but for, for your peers, you know, will you clarify that? I think that's super valuable. Yeah. So, so, so Jeremy was, was very well connected with certain CPAs. Like he's very well connected with payroll, very well connected with attorneys. Like he knew him. He's, he's been a part of NOCO 2030, which is now called what? Sorry. NOCO Unify. NOCO Unify. And he's been doing that, what, 20 years? That just saved me a fine if I don't mention NOCO Unify if I'm uh, in, in some kind of meeting like this. Nice, nice. It's like NOCO a $100 fine, so thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, so a lot of really dynamic uh, professionals are, are part of that um, organization. But yeah, he'd, ask, he'd ask the client, hey, who's your payroll vendor? Who's your CPA? How's it going? Who's your banker? How's that relationship going? Right? How, just everything, the value added. All the way through, just adding value. And then, and then if they were like, that's ah, okay. Right. He go, would you be open to meeting, you know, this guy or this guy or this gal or this gal? And he'd facilitate that, that introduction, adding value. Right. Right. Just trying to not only, not really round out the account. That was never mm-hmm. really his goal or, or my goal was to add value. Cause we know these people are professional. They're, they're going to take care of you. They're going to answer their emails. They're going to answer your phone call, their phone calls, no matter when you call. Right. And they're, they're, they want you to be successful. Yeah, and they're adjacent to the network that you want to hit, right? They're yeah, certain. it's all connected. It's, uh, I mean, it, it's it's odd to think that someone, and not to toot my own horn, but that someone was actually wanting to better the people you're doing business with, right? And the reason why I would ask that question not isn't so I can tout, hey, I got you six leads or whatever, is the more I can get involved with people that I know and trust, the more I think I can make an impact in your business. So if I truly vetted out CPA and that CPA crushes it in the dental world or crushes it in the, in the construction world and you're struggling with your CPA, I'm going to bring you someone that it's known and proven and that I vetted myself. And you know, if it doesn't work, I'm going to hand deliver you to somebody else. Right. It's the same thing. You know, Dylan and I do the, do the exact same thing when it comes to bringing on a new client. Like our world is super easy 
and really difficult all at the same time when it comes to acquiring a client. If you say, hey, you know, we're having drinks, you're a cool guy. You can take my business. I have you sign a piece of paper. I'm your broker, right? The next next week, somebody else comes and does it. They sign the paper, and I'm no longer your broker, right? Mm-hmm. So what are you doing to maintain that client? What are you doing to make sure that you're in, you know, you're vested, you're taken care of? And those are the people that I would look for and refer in business back and forth. And long story short, you take care of people, you send them business, they're going to trust you too. They're going to send you business back and you're no longer knocking doors. You're no right. longer making 250 yeah. phone calls a day. Yeah. You're handling, you know, uh, leads or clients that need you and you're, you're, you're getting vetted from a trusted partner and the rest is history. Third party referral, man. That's the best awesome. kind of referral you can get. It is. It's viral marketing, right? It's and all, the, it's the level of loyalty you create with that customer. So when, when, not if, when the next guy tries to pitch them, you know, yep. yeah. it's like, Jeremy's my guy. Dylan's my guy. Yeah. Yep. And they work with the CPA and they work with this payroll company yep. and Our banks so, with them. Yeah. Why would I, why would I cut my leg off to just save a couple bucks, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but, um, still my true entrepreneurial passion down the road, this, I don't know that there's any money involved in this, but <laughs> I've always wanted to open up a business titled, I got a guy, yeah. right? It's such an East coast term. But I do. Yeah, I get, don't worry I get, about it. I got a guy. <laughs> I get called all the time. It's like, hey, I need a garage door guy. I got a guy. Yeah. You know? Jeremy is literally, you should get a tattoo. It says, I got a guy. I got a guy. On your forearm. I mean. Because it's, it's, if you bring up anything. Yep. Jeremy's like, I, I got a guy. Yeah. And, and it's literally and they're good. And they're good people, right? right. I mean, just, <laughs> you just vet it out. And the ones that, you know, that aren't good, you, you, don't, you don't throw them in the I got a guy file. So. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, the opposite can be true. Yeah, that's, that's happened to me too. I've yeah, I know a lot of people don't need to deal business with too, right? I mean, it's they say that bad business spreads way faster than good business. No um, doubt. It's you know, so be on the good side of that business. So hopefully, you get ten percent, not the ninety that says you're terrible. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, we got from where you guys started, how you grew up, to how you got into the business, to how you came to know each other. Yeah. How did how did the formal partnership? start how did, and then there's a transition period too i mean there's a story there too so yep. i'd love to know yeah. that and then yeah. how you guys came together yeah that's uh i'll dive into that one quickly i mean it's we could go six hours on this conversation but dylan and i are completely different right tall you know dark-skinned handsome over here Thanks. and tans like that. a tans like a uh, sun bum like a navajo uh, freckled <laughs> freckled out bald irish scottish guy over here that runs his mouth too much right perfect match um but we believe in the same things. We've always done it the same way. You know, our families get along, our kids are our friends. Um, I mean, we, we have been together in the past, right? I saw things that I didn't think were going to be long-term at, you know, an agency we were previously at now to no fault of their own. It just wasn't going to work out long-term. I got out of there. We stayed in connection, you know, to an extent, obviously when you, when you go from being partners to competing against each other, um, you, you're still friendly, but, but along the way, we never did, never competed, never went after each other's business, uh, but stayed in contact uh, maybe four years um, after that fact. We reconnected, went to another agency where we were partners, but we'd always joke around, right? Whether having cocktails or out at breakfast, like, why don't we just do this on our own, right? Like, we're making a lot of people a lot of money. These clients are not buying the logo on our business card. They're not... They're not calling the phone's not ringing off the hook at an insurance agency of people saying, I really want to do insurance with you. So we just, we kind of joked about it. I mean, even going back six years ago and said, let's do this. Right. But two scared East coast kids were like, well, the income's good. And 
We're going to get sued. And we're going to get sued, and we don't really know who's going to give money for give an money? insurance no, policy. Money. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was uh, it was always an idea. It's been around for a long time. Probably took us four years to being together to even think of that, um, and then another seven in order to finally say, you know what, um, all the respect in the world to the agencies that we worked at, but be better off if we go start something from scratch and make an impact back in the community versus risk being sold or risk having somebody else come in and take over or a different direction that they want to go. And at the end of the day, our clients who bought into us are gone or right. can't trust us or who knows what the outcome is going to be. And we wanted control of the next 25 years. So, I mean, that's entrepreneurship, right? I mean, true entrepreneurs go in, learn as much as they possibly can about an industry or business and go, I think I can go do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like every general contractor, they're training guys. They're going to step out and be their own GCs yes. or fabricators, whatever it may be. It's oil and gas for sure, right? Yep. You hire a guy, you invest time into them. They're making six figures or more, and then they go, I can start my own business yep. and do this. The, the hardest part, I think, about your industry is you build up this incredible book of business and buying the book back, is it the frame, the term you guys use? Yeah, if, they, if it's allowed, right? You mean you, you want to go purchase your book of business, right? Because obviously a book of business has income behind it, commissions that are ultimately going to the agency that's you're housed under, and you get a certain split of that commission. Um, so, I mean, our goal is like, we want to do this. We want to control where the commissions go. We want to be able to give bonuses to our staff. We want to be able to give back in the community where we live in. We want to do something different with the money that's coming in. It's not like... We need bigger houses and fancier cars. It's we're going to do this. Let's enjoy it. Let's make sure our families prosper, but make sure the community and the people we do business with prosper even more. Right. And, let, and let's it. take. I mean, the clients, the true entrepreneurs are the, are, are not the insurance geeks. They're, they're the the GCs. They're the um, uh, give me, landscaping companies. They're, they're the manufacturing companies. Like those are the guys that have serious money in yeah. their business. Insurance guys. I mean, you can you can get your insurance license and start your own business tomorrow. Yeah, it's re- relatively scalable from an overhead standpoint, right? For sure. Just very, 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 very much so. It's a more of a time <clears throat> thing and how networked up you are. Yeah, absolutely. And if you bring on your book, you can you can do this organically. I have a really good buddy. I told you about him, Adam Greist. He's yeah. back in, in Latrobe. Uh, he built a, a tremendous manufacturing company. Yep. His overhead is millions mm-hmm. yeah. upon millions of dollars. And he crushes it. And yep. he's, but he's he was he grew up as an entrepreneur. Uh, his grandfather owned a food service company. His dad owned a, like events company and him and his brother took over the events company and then they, they took the money and built a manufacturing company and they've, uh, they've got, and now they're building like a bank. Yeah. Instead of getting, uh, giving the loans to this credit union, they're like, Hey, let's bank ourselves. Let's bank ourselves. Yeah. Which awesome. is, which is by the way, why I haven't reached out. He's like, no, I'm going to take it this way and, and go. I was like, Hey man, go for it. You're going to make a billion bucks. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, good for but, um, well, we can, you can start your own insurance business tomorrow, but if you want to bring over a book of business, right? You better have some dough because you're going to get sued. Mm. It's going to happen, uh, and is that's it just, scary. It's just common, just it is because they don't want they send a non compete or something. They, they, want, they, they really want to stifle your business. They right. want they want to get in between your ears to and you slow down. you down. Yeah. And yep. you can't do that. I mean, yep. I've I've been through it, and it's like, hey, keep the pedal down. You're building a company, and you love your wife and kids. You love your your clients. Go get new business. Don't yeah. focus on the negative, right? Like you got to focus on production, um, and that's easy for us to say. I'm 39, Jeremy. What are you? You're 39? 49. 40, yeah, 49. Or 41. Yeah. <laughs> God, I feel I feel 56 yeah. right now. Yeah. Broken back, hurt, but that's. Right. But uh, <laughs> but my buddy Adam is like, hey man, just grow organically. Don't buy any of your clients. That way you have no overhead. 
I'm like, well, you're smart. I should listen to you, but I can't leave my clients high and dry. Right. right. So I can't do that. Right. Like, like the ones yeah. that want to come with me, I'll, I'll take them and I'm going to take care of them. Yeah. But if they don't call me, then, you know, they, they're fine with where they're at. Well, and it's not cheap to buy the book, right? No, it's typically one and a half or two times annual revenue. So you're in the hole for two years yep. before you even make a penny. Uh, and top, then you have business. You got staff, right? You got location. So, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, becoming a licensed insurance agent, super easy. Starting an agency, not so easy, yeah. right? I mean, you got to find the brick and mortar, right? You're not going to do it out of your house. People aren't going to say, hey, yeah, I want to come to your office. Oh, by the way, it's my front room in my house, <laughs> right? Well, you might be able to do that, uh, but you're not going to be successful long-term. I think, I don't know the exact stats, but the success rate of an insurance broker is, I mean, I would say less than 15% make it yeah. uh, long-term, right? Um, and we're not talking, you know, hey, call every family member you know and sell them a life insurance policy. We're talking big business you're getting in with groups that are 50 employees to 5,000 employees or maybe even above and, and truly becoming a partner and creating a long-term strategy for their benefits. Yeah, their annual premiums, like 100,000 bucks to millions. Right. Right, that's it's, it's not, you know. Yeah, you're not, you're not selling any a, entrepreneur. Yeah, a motorcycle policy or, a, you know, a, a 20K life insurance policy, right? So um, what we do in the side of business that we do, the success rate is, is small, Um just because it's it's a grind, right? I mean, and, and few people aren't willing to put that long-term effort in, uh, put the grind in and keep, especially um, starting over, right? I mean, that's a whole different conversation, but starting from scratch, building something and then saying, you know what, I'm going to leave some of that behind because it just makes sense and contractually we have to. Um, but we're going to go start this for the right reasons because we know the next 25 years are going to be even better than the last five. Yeah. We're really fortunate in Colorado. Northern Colorado is incredible as far as just there's, there's a tremendous amount of entrepreneurialism here, right? Absolutely. You have, what you have here compared to where I grew up and where Jeremy grew up is that back on the East Coast, you have, oh, well, Frank, his grandfather's been my insurance guy, and then his son, Frank Jr., he's, he's now my insurance guy, and then his son, Frank the Third is going to be our insurance guy. <laughs> I'm serious. That's, yeah, how, that's yeah. how it is. And they're like, we're not going to work it's with— Frankie, not Frank. Frankie, Frank, yeah. yeah, it's Frankie. <laughs> so here you have— Dylan and Jeremy who moved here, it's first generation business owners, right. right? Your first generation business owner, right? Like that's, and you're developing those relationships now. And that, that's dynamically different where you are in the country as far as the success of a, of a commercial insurance brokerage, for yeah. sure. So you guys pull the ripcord and yeah. you make the leap and yep. you're, you were looking, hunting to find somebody to help you seed the investment that you needed to buy the, the book of business. Correct. Book, books yep. of business, correct? Yep. 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 And then you make this connection with uh, FNBO, yeah. First National Bank of Omaha. Yeah. And the story changes drastically. It does. And it's really it, cool. And and part of why I want I want everybody to hear the story is you you got to be in the game if you're ever going to get a shot like that, right? So yep. you guys never would have got this shot if yep. you hadn't been in the game and said, hey, we're pulling the ripcord. We're not entirely sure how we're going to go do it. Yep. We're going to go figure, figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, – I mean, it takes a leap of faith and all you really got to do is pick up the phone and make the first call, right? right. So that's the start. Dylan and I just, you know, chatting like, hey, if we're going to do this, let's let's look at it. Let's see what it looks like, right? Um, the crazy part about it is we started looking at it, but at the same time, maintained some insane numbers with the company. Like, so it's not, we never slowed down, right? Back to Dylan's point, like 
what are we focused on doing here, growing our business and taking care of people. So that never, ever came out of scope, right? Like even the organizations that we, we left, we crushed it. We absolutely crushed it. Top um, producers. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, that was our main focus. And, you know, in our small amount of downtime, you know, we, we thought about ourselves, right? Like, Hey, let's do this long term. So, uh, talked to a first banker. He was like, love the idea, but it's kind of hard because technically it's not guaranteed income. And if they don't come with you, all the income you're buying could be gone tomorrow. Right. If Is they he- do come with you, you can be fired in a month. Right, you can right. lose your revenue because that's how the benefits business works, right? Same with the PNC, but kind of with the PNC, but mostly benefits. So it's not the easiest business to lend money for because there's no building. There's no vehicle. There's no equipment. There's nothing really behind it outside of them believing in the two guys that currently hold the rights to that insurance policy. Um, so first guy said, yeah, we could do it, but you're both going to have to put your houses up. You're probably going to have to come up with about a half million dollars each, Um we look at each other and we're like, you know, we're strong. Let's, let's pretend this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fine. We're good. Deep downside. We're like, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah. I'm not giving up my house, not put my family at risk. I make one more phone call to a good buddy of mine um, who is with FNBO and his exact words in the first 30 seconds were, yep, we got you. We do that all the time. We love, we love the insurance world. I was like, sweet. Not what I was expecting. Right. I was actually sitting freezing, you know, my nuts off in an ice rink, which is pretty much where I live 75% of my life for my, my kid. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, he just down in Boulder at an ice rink. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make the call today. Just sitting here bored. I'm going to make a call. And he says, uh, yeah, we love that. We've got several, you know, under our, our, our um, portfolio right now. He goes, but before we give you money, we've been trying to get into Colorado for years, right? We've got a 105 year old insurance agency based out of Nebraska, uh, multiple locations, multiple states, but Colorado is where we want to go next. I said, okay, I'll take a listen. He's like, two days later, sends me a text message and said, hey, Scott, the, the agency uh, president wants to speak with you. I said, sounds good. Here's my cell phone. I'm not kidding. Less than 60 seconds later, the phone rings. I'm like, whoa, okay, this is a Nebraska number. I recognize it. I'm like, all right, I pick it up. And uh, if you live anywhere near uh, Harmony Road, the cell phone reception is absolutely terrible. The Bermuda Triangle. So I, I make a hard right no into sense. the Walmart, you know, Murphy gas station parking lot right there at 25 and, and uh, Harmony. And I'm in the, in the gas station parking lot for an hour and 20 minutes, having a conversation with these people, just getting to, getting to know them, them getting to know us. And the conversation ends with, Hey, outside of me coming out there and making you an offer, we let's do this the right way. And my next, my next exact statement was like, well, it's not just me. It's me and Dylan right? Like that's, that's we're this is it. So I was like, we got two options, right? Like we can go down this path or the bank, it sounds like the bank's willing to lend us money. And what honestly threw me over the edge was the agency president who had no skin in the game. If the bank would have lent us money, right? Technically we would have been competitive competitors. He goes at, by the end of this, he goes, you're either going to come work with, uh, with us. He never, never has never said for us. He said, you're, you'll either come work with us or we'll be the ones cheering you on from behind, knowing that the bank's making a little bit and that you guys are crushing it in the, in the community. And uh, he said at the very end of the call, he goes, whether you believe this or not, you and I would have been on a phone call in the next week. And I said, what do you mean? He said, we have a list. I said, a list. He goes, yep, we've, we've come out. We've met with eight different agencies. None of them are cultural fit or the other ones don't want to sell. We've met with several people that we were told to meet with, not a cultural fit. He said, but Jeremy, your name is top of this list of people that we should be talking to on the benefit side of things. And he said, well, just think about the property casualty side, you know, who would, who would you want on that? I said, okay, you know, that's, that's good. 
um, you know, benefits world. I said, well, you would start with two of the best producers in Northern Colorado. And he said, I absolutely love it. Right. So that was, that was that, um, speed up several meetings, phone calls along the way. Um, you know, we made the leap January one of this year to kick this thing off and we have a circle one logo and F and I see behind it. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. It's funny. Cause, um, Jeremy called me and said, Hey, you'll never believe this. He told me his turn. I was like, not interested. Yeah. <laughs> not interested in the bank owned insurance agency. Been a part you guys of have it. Seen that. It's going to happen. Been a part it. of it. We crushed it, knocked out the bar park and then went over like a turn to punch bowl. Like not good. Okay. <laughs> so not every bank I've seen that owned insurance agency just didn't it like Wells Fargo sold theirs. What are, what are some other ones? They've all sold them. Yeah. Yep. It's because bank bankers very rarely don't like work. risk. Yeah. Insurance guys love risk. It's what we do. Right. Yep. So just, it works as long as you just let them be separate. Uh, so I was, I wasn't in, I wasn't really committed mm-hmm. at all until December 15th. Yep. What was the turning point? What, what made you, what convinced you? You know, the biggest thing, um, it wasn't necessarily, I didn't really care about having, Hey, Valino's insurance agency or, or hold Valino's insurance. I didn't care about that. It was more so, okay, what can I build that I know for a fact private equity is not going to buy it. I don't want private equity. I don't want VC money, right? I want these guys. I want, a, I want an independent insurance agency that's not going to sell and something that I can pass on to my kids right? or someone that I can mentor in the business. My kids decide, hey, I don't want anything to do with insurance. I'm going to do this, 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 this. Great. Awesome. I'll be your biggest cheerleader. But options. Options, right? It's It's – I didn't have the option to stand on my father's shoulder because he didn't build something that was entrepreneurial. He's yeah. an art teacher. Great, right? I took what was best from my dad, which he taught me how to fly fish. That was me standing on my dad's shoulders. But I was like, what can I do? What can I build? Like, I'm going to build this insurance business. I've got 25 good years left, God willing, to build this business. I just don't want the rug to be pulled out from underneath me because it was sold to a you know a large corporation that, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous – they don't leave you alone, yeah. right? They, they manage you, right? Yes. And, and most most insurance guys, gals, they don't need to be managed if they've made it. They've built a good business. They just need to let their, you know, the wings fly and, and let them, you know, work with their clients. Um, it was it was actually the long term play of hey, when you retire, you know, we have ten years of, of of equity. That I was like, okay, I was like, all right. So we're talking. That's different. That, that's different. Like explain that Unheard to me, of. right? Yeah, it's it's just unheard of. Yeah, I mean, for people who don't understand, when you retire, there's a – what do they call it? There's like a time – there's a name for that period of time when they give you the 10 years of equity. Yeah, I don't know the exact name, but they, they basically what they want, right? And and the whole point of the agency that we went to is they're not looking to sell, right? They're not looking to turn a quick buck, right? I mean, you're talking a multi-billion – dollar bank, right? And the insurance agency is a a area to service their clients and their community to make sure that people that they're giving money to taken care of are also taken care of responsibly on the back end. Right. Um, so they also, it's not just a, hey, Dylan, you're, oh, you're gone tomorrow. Sounds good. We'll pay you for 10 years. It's, can you mentor someone to make sure that your accounts are taken care of? Can you make sure that the relationships are maintained 10 years past when you're gone? Because it's not a quick one and done. We want these people, as long as they're in business, we want to be their insurance agency. We want to be their bank. That's a beautiful thing. We want to be their right? partner. So I'm 39. So 
most usually whenever we lose business, it's because of acquisitions. That's at least what it was like whenever, like pre-COVID. Uh, and in the past three years, we've kind of been in this uh, whirlwind of, hey, we're part of this business, but I need to build my own business. Like, what's this look like? Kind of just up in the air, right? But now it's, it's um, what was I even getting to? What was I talking about? You remember? <laughs> you remember? <laughs> You're just you're just talking about the long the game retirement, options, the retirement, retirement side plans. Of things. Yeah, like it, there, there's something beautiful about mentoring someone and passing on a business to them, a legacy to them, right? Yes. And anyone that doesn't have that has seen that, whether it be a friend or a, a different family member, like cousin or something. Like, wow, that's really that's really cool yeah. that their that their parents, dad, mom, grandpa, passed on something to them because they were literally thinking about them 50 years ago. 25 years ago, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. That, that's something that's, that's romantic, really. Yeah, it's actually biblical. Right. Mm-hmm. Your money should last three generations. Right, right, right. Your children's children's children, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, I think, I think ultimately it comes down to, you know, being able to build wealth uh, is about really building a legacy. And um, you go work for a big agency, you're just really just a glorified employee ultimately. And so... Yep. That was your fear, right? Of like, yeah. I'd rather go suffer for five years and totally. ramen to have twenty years of legacy and the potential to pass it on to my kids or yeah. the next generation or something. And you like have that. to pay that price in order to have that that opportunity. And, and and every entrepreneur who's listening to this gets that. And or if you're wanting to become an entrepreneur, just like that is that is the price. That is the pain in order to get to profits. See what I did there? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, I like that's, it. That's pretty. It was good. Yeah. yeah it's like, uh, it like you guys teed me up for that softball, buddy. <laughs> but it's true. It's it is the it's the price you have to pay in order to to get that. And most people are unwilling to get that uncomfortable, right? To take the maybe the step back financially in order to do that. You guys just found a unique situation where you're with the right one of a kind. It is one of a kind. Yeah. It's like a franchise inside of a bank yeah. meets a business opportunity meets a I don't even know. It's crazy. Entrepreneurship. It's not common, but you have to be in the game. And we've been in the game. I mean, we've been hustling for 20 years. Yep. Right. Maybe even longer than that. Whenever you talk about, you know, being a W2 as a teenager and just starting your life, right? You have to, you have to start, but you got to be in the game and you, and you got to understand it and be a professional in order to even have an opportunity. Would you guys have done anything differently if you could, now that you're just kind of sitting back looking at where you're at right now and what you stepped into? Um, at this point I would say no. Right. I mean, I, I don't know that I would have done. Well, yes, actually, I, I would have probably taken after leaving the first agency that I ever worked at, I probably would have taken a different route and gone maybe a year or two. Um, still in the still in the same industry, but maybe on the carrier side or something just to get a different uh, perspective. So I didn't face three years of, you know, legal non-compete. Right. So I think that's the worst part. So if, if I could have changed any aspect of it, that's probably would have been it. You know, when, when Dylan uh, was leaving, he called me and said, Hey, what do you think I should do? And I said, get out. Like if I could have done this differently, like he asked me that question. I said, get out for two years, right? Like go work for United Cigna, go find a, an ancillary job and just meet every Tom, Dick and Harry broker that we've competed against. And as, yeah. as a entrepreneur, you're like, ugh, it sounds like yeah. death. Gross. <laughs> I'd <laughs> rather just, Go back to make being a fishing guide, which would be awesome. Yeah, but go back to be a fish guide and make thirty grand and eat top ramen. Right, but knowing now, right. right? I mean, it's when you deal with the headache of of the contractual side of things. I would say that's the biggest nightmare in the world, and no one wins. No one wins. The clients don't win. We attorneys don't win. Attorneys always win. win. That's one hundred percent true. <laughs> yeah. Attorneys. 
That's it. So anyone listening to this, become an attorney. You will make, regardless if someone's starting, <laughs> ending, win. suing, you will get paid. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the only thing I would I mean, probably change uh, as far as that goes long term. Is there always the thought in the back of the head like, hey, what if this really was all ours and we got to keep all of it? Yes, that comes in all the time. But I'm also once the critical – you know, EBITDA questions come in and the mortgage payments do and the, the lighting bill and the $250,000 build out of the new facility and having to hire a $125,000 salary employee, like at the, at the back day, I'm like, Oh, I'm just thank God that's not coming out of my pocket yeah. or that, you know, Dylan and I don't have to, you know, put up a, a personal you know, guarantee. Yeah. Or call grandpa and say, Hey grandpa, I know you're like two years away from kicking it, but that <laughs> okay. 250 you got sitting around, can I have that now? Right? Can I put like, a lien on your house? Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. It's that part of it. Um, but having the freedom to still go and build what we want with who we want, how we want to do it, um, is just a one-off partnership that we have, you know, with, with F and I C and F and B O that is just super hard to find. And for perspective, like if you're going to build anything great, big of magnitude, you're going to need partners Correct. and that's going to require you to give up equity. Uh, you know, you need somebody to find the deal or start the business, somebody to, get it over the line, somebody to bring the money, somebody to make it viable business. And then one day somebody to sell it on the back end, if that's an option. Right. So yep. yeah. that's a you know, hundred percent split five ways. And, um, money is valuable for sure. It's like maybe worth 20%, but at the end of the day, you're going to give up equity regardless, yep. unless you want to keep it small, keep it all. Then just be an, into, uh, own a book of business, work for an agency yeah. and don't have any aspiration of Correct. building anything bigger. Yep. Yeah. Come and go as you please. Don't answer it to anybody, but I mean, I think it's I think it's nice having to have people call us and say, "Hey, how are you doing it? How did you do it there? Can you teach us here?" Cool. Right? I think that's probably the the most exciting part of the first five months is that piece of it. What What are the biggest challenges you guys see ahead for yourself? Can, I, the can I share real quick on? Yeah, go on, for it. Um, I have no regrets at all when it comes to like where where I am right now in the insurance business with with Jers, but. There's a lot of other regrets that I, that I would have. Mm. Um, more so not leaning in and like you can you can actually take a lot of time off in the insurance business. You can be lazy. Yeah. You can get to a point where you're making a couple bills a year, especially for a kid that never made any money, and go, Wow, this is <laughs> pretty cool. Hundred grand this year just kinda of doing nothing. Going yeah, to the JW right? instead of the courtyard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And using your Marriott points and not paying right. the penny, right? But it's like, if you can literally just keep your work ethic up that made you successful in the first three to five years and do it for 10, mm. you can crush it. Yeah. You can really crush it. And just always just be pointed, be sharper with, with understanding the industry because every industry is changing. As you say before, the only thing consistent about any businesses change. That's yeah. it, right? Especially now, especially over the past, let's just, let's just say five years. So much has changed. But working even more so than what I did, should have. Mm. But you can't. Now I can do that. I'm only 39. You, you, can, you can always put yeah. more time into it. Yeah, I think, I think there's a, a constant reframing we have to go through. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, statistically speaking, you'll make $50,000 plus or minus of what the highest income earning person in your household made. So, you know, my dad probably in his best year maybe made 85 yeah, as a as a contractor, a carpenter, right? So, you know, you make 150. All of a sudden, you're like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, right? hey, Dad, guess how much money I'm making? And okay. this is the importance of hanging around people that are doing better than you. Yeah, 
uh, the importance of people are making more money than you. Yep. And uh, all of a sudden you you're going, okay, wow, I, I made one fifty. That guy just made five hundred. Mm-hmm. And they hang around the guys making five hundred, and all of a sudden the guys make a couple million. And you're yeah. like, okay, why not me? What's preventing me from doing that? Yep. And and you got to constantly recalibrate. That's what I call it. Recalibrate by just yeah. who you're hanging out with. Yeah. Not, not to say you for, yeah you forget who you, who came up with you, but. Yeah, you get comfortable. Show me your five closest friends. I'll show you your future, right? So, yeah, 100%. And that was, I mean, as you go along, right? I mean, going back to potential regrets, uncontrollable out of our part, but still regret. I mean, I, I mentioned it before, the starting over, right? We've talked about it all the time. Like if we maintain, to Dylan's point, if we did what we did steady with one, this option, but 12 years ago, we would both be multimillionaires. We'd yeah. be making over a million dollars a year. Um, we would be crushing it. We would have a huge book. We would be the absolute force, which we will end up being in this community. But when you get to a certain point, you're like, yeah, this is going well. And then you start over and then you build it up to that. My speaking on my behalf and then you start over. Right. And then it's like, Oh my God, how many times am I going to go backwards to go forward? But a lot of times you have to, right. I mean, right. with, with starting a business, whether it's the logo, whether it's the expertise, whether it's the Avenue that you're wanting to go down, whether, you know, you know, look at, uh, you know, a Martin Lind, for example, right? Yep. Like different communities, different markets, right? Water Valley went from the greatest thing in the world to 2008. It's like, how the heck are we going to even make this thing work yep. to the most booming, booming metropolis around here, right? Things like that. So it's the ups and downs that you navigate. So if, if I could have changed it, which it means impossible to do that, I would have had to not start over two or three different times. Um, and then we would be in cruise mode, but I wouldn't have also learned 90% of what I've learned on how to do it the right way mm-hmm. if we didn't have to start over. Yeah, and people come in your life too. Like, I wouldn't have had this opportunity if it wasn't for someone saying, hey, man, you should sell insurance. Got pot- I see potential in you. Yeah, right, right. So uh, me reading books and just engaging in conversation with, with Jason was enough for him to go, hey, man, you'd be an asset yeah. for you to work with me. And then I'm, I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for you know the guys that hired me at PFS. Mm-hmm. And then I'm grateful for the guys that hired me at at um, the agency out of Arizona, like super grateful. I learned so much. So did Jeremy. Um, but now it's like, okay, I'm home. Yeah. yeah. I let's, mean, let's build this. Let's, yep. let's like no more dual minded stuff. We know where we're at. Let's go. Yep. Yeah. Fresh I think too, payment. I think too, like through your twenties, especially you're still trying to figure out who you want to be when you grow up. Even and who like to early, trust. Early, yeah. Early 30. I mean, I did actually a degree in human physiology. Graduated on a Friday, walked into a stocks and commodities bond on a Monday. Three months later, I'm a newly crowned broker and the Dow Jones falls 777 points to set up the housing crisis. <laughs> then I was going to go be a financial planner. I was going to go work for Country Financial. Oh, yes. Yeah. And then uh, got the opportunity to go lead strategy um, at a marketing and technology company. I have no business. Dude. I'm a blue collar kid, man. I was supposed to go sling hammers. That's what I was supposed yeah. to do. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's be prepared to pivot and start over. And we grossly overestimate what we can do in a year undervalue three to five years. I think for me, if I had to go back and say, what's my biggest regret, it was not taking the leap sooner. Sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Right? It's it always was, regret, right? But it's the golden handcuffs, right? It's like, yeah, I'm making 150. I'm making 200. I'm making 250. I'm making 300. And it's like, oh, how do I recover that? You know, right. it's like, well, you, you probably won't right away, but long-term you're playing the long game. What's the goal? Is the goal just money? Right. Freedom. Goal's not just money, no. right? There's a, Dan Sullivan, he's a great entrepreneur, coach of other entrepreneurs. I love it. Uh, he wrote a book called The Self-Managing Company. He talks mm-hmm. about the four freedoms of entrepreneurship. And every entrepreneur is chasing these. The first one's freedom of time. The second one's freedom of money. Then freedom of relationship. And then freedom of purpose. And that's ultimately what we're going for. When we're, when we're trying to get a 
a legacy business, that is a self-managing company that has other people running it that then gives you the income that you need to go do the thing you want to do. Like, dude, I'm going to go build whatever communities and bring clean water to a little tribe in Africa or something, oh, yeah. whatever that is. Um, but when we, when we put money before time, we have a job. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're working for somebody else or even right. in your own business, right, you're not reinvesting back in your business mm-hmm. and you're just keeping it small, keeping it all, man, you are definitely just creating a job for yourself. Yeah. That's the biggest trap of entrepreneurship. Solopreneurship. Absolutely. Without, you don't know how to duplicate. Exactly. You're, just, you're the guy, you're the gal, you're doing it all yourself. Uh, what's the biggest challenge for you guys ahead right now as you're trying to get this new? I mean, outside of dealing with contractual issues that we won't get into, yeah. uh, that'll be coming gone hopefully soon. Um, in all honesty, it's, is the right people. I wouldn't say people in general, cause we could hire six people today. It's building the right culture, mm-hmm. um, and building it with the right people that believe in what we're doing, how we're doing it and want to do this for a long period of time. The eight, the, the insurance world is tough because the Dylans and I of the world, the brokers of the world have a bad reputation, right? Because we just go out and we sell it and then we go on vacation, we play golf and somebody's left to work 60, 70 hours to pick up the pieces. Right. right. Um, and I mean, and for a lot of agencies, that's the case, right? I mean, you're paid 40 to 80 grand a year. Uh, you know, everything's on fire and you don't have an extinguisher, but you still got to put it out. Um, but by the way, don't bother me because, you know, I'm I play golf. Yeah, I play yeah, golf. You got early yeah. time. So <laughs> making, making sure that we don't um, create that type of environment, right? Making sure that we've got the right people that um, we don't want them to work past six. But man, if they're picking up the phone and they're getting on their email and they're making sure that they're invested, that's awesome. I'm going to tell them to stop. But deep down inside, I'm going to thank them greatly for making sure that the people are taken care of, right? Or getting up to go to the 7.30 a.m. breakfast with the client that, that are, you know, that are, you know, giving us, I mean, I got a birthday present. I did from one of, one of our staff. I'm like, why are you buying me things? Like I should be buying you things, right? Like we put you through, you know, hell with, and you still smile. So I need four more of those, right? So finding those, um, at the right price and that want to stick around and believe in what we're trying to do. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle, Honestly, I mean, a lot of people are going to say, well, finding the right clients. Northern Colorado is so unique that the big gorillas, right, the giant corporate companies don't stand a chance up here. People want to do business with people that are from around here. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, now that we're 20 years here, we can, you know, we can have the native, we can put the native bumper sticker on the back of the vehicle. <laughs> we can say that we're from here. Yeah, I think we've, do, yeah we've done enough um, in the community to get a good reputation uh, as to why we're here. Now we just need to make sure that we're getting in front of the right people to do business with and, and the right people behind us to make it last the next 25 years. Yeah, and it's the biggest thing with every question, every single entrepreneur I talk to right now, clients, hey, what's going on right now? What's, what are you struggling with? Right people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or enough. They're people. out there. I mean, the, the right people are out there. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about this. I mean, people are, uh, if, the, if anything coming off COVID uh, did anything, it taught them that they're going to be more judicious with where they spend their time and mm-hmm. who they spend their time with. And back to the values thing, right? There's a lot of people who showed their true colors during mm-hmm. a good, bad, or indifferent, depending on what you believe in. And if you're at a company that didn't align with your core values, you're going, is this really want to spend the next 10 years of my life? Yeah. And so I'd say this all the time on the pod. And when I consult with people who are having the same issue, it's you got to do a better job of telling the story of what it's like to work there before they ever fill out the application, just like you would with, um, building any kind of relationship. 
And so we better have, recruiting strategy. We, we just got back from a, a trip in Philadelphia. We met with the incredible partners um, called Crumdale Partners. And these guys, I mean, they take six months to a year to hire anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, CFO has dinner with them with family. CEO has dinner with the family. Chief sales, everyone has dinner with their family. They get together. So what do you think? Think they're a good guy? Good gal? Good family? Mm-hmm. No? All right. Any, yeah. Any, any, any roadblocks? Okay. Nope. No good. Yeah, yeah. They want cream of the crop. Just, just the best people. Because that, that's what builds your company. There's a book called Who? It's actually written by a guy down in Denver. If you haven't read it, it's amazing. Okay. Uh, it's just a systematic way to get to the A players. And uh, very very strategic to creating a scorecard to how you screen people out and doing it in a little bit more timely fashion than six months. Yeah. But that's what ultimately what they're doing is they're trying to screen out the B and C players yep. and just bring in the A players. Yep. And so you got to know what you're looking for. So I recommend that book. I actually just wrote my newsletter uh, today. The one that went out today was about that, about the voodoo magic of hiring yeah, A voodoo. players. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah that's it. Right. It was like, we all do that. If you go look at those different profiles, right. You see, you know, the, the artistic one, like, oh, I just got a feeling about this guy, right? So I'll, I'll tell you a story. I used to do um, hiring with my father-in-law. And if we interviewed somebody in the morning when he's in a good mood, because he's an early morning guy, he's like, I freaking love this guy. Right? <laughs> we could bring in like the ace, like the best person ever. But if it's at 3.30 in the afternoon, he's like, I didn't like him. I didn't like him at all. <laughs> I'm like, what is wrong with you? He was an art critic, right? It was oh. all in the gut, and it was how he was feeling. Oh. If he got off a crappy phone call and we went and interviewed that guy, hated him yeah. every single time. So, you know, removing the emotion of hiring is crucial as well. Yeah. And nobody sends you a bad resume. It's like asking for referrals. It's like, yeah, let me call up three people who hate my guts. I'll send them right <laughs> over. You know, it's like <laughs> nobody does that, right? So your resume is doctored, but they're not necessarily congruent a great yeah. Resume, right, is not necessarily congruent with hiring the right person. So, but read, I highly recommend that book. How many interviews have you done in your life? Too many. Thousand? Over a thousand. Okay. So, when did you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm going to trust my gut? Like, I can really go with my gut on this. Never. The gut failed me too many times. Mm. Um, The typical interview process is like this really wide funnel that Mm. you then funnel down and you narrow. And you actually want to turn it on its head. So you want to get as many of the like non-negotiables out of the way in the job uh, application. It's like if you if this bothers you, these things make you uncomfortable. These are non-negotiables for us. Here's what the income is. Here's what the salary potential, the salary and the income potential is. If you don't understand that, that makes you uncomfortable. Don't even fill out the application. Right. If you make it past that, that's barrier number one. Mm-hmm. And then you get on that phone call, and you're actually trying to do everything in your power to deter that person, especially if it's like for a sales type position yep. to deter that person from actually moving forward. And they should be trying to, to sell you, but you got to know what you're looking for. So what are the questions that you're asking in order to, to clarify that? Then, you know, by the, by the second interview that you're like, okay, I'm dealing with the top of the top and now I'm just narrowing down of the top of the top. Who's the best. Hmm. I think you, uh, you bring up a good point that, I mean, that always sticks in my head. If I'm having to sell an applicant on why they need to come work for us, we, we, we don't want them. Yep. I mean, it's it's you know in that in that meeting or in that interview, if we're if we're you know mashing real well and we're 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 hitting it off, and I, what I'm saying, you're feeling you're feeding back to me, and it's not a sales pitch like, hey, by the way, we've got free candy and soda, yep. and you know you can work wherever you want when you want. You can you don't have to work right, and I'm pitching you to the hilt, <laughs> yeah. right? Which is what half these people want this, these days. I don't want to deal with it, right? Like. Yep. 
you know, the person that, you know, that tells me when I say, Hey, well, you know what, we're going to push this back eight weeks. And they're like, well, I was really into it. I really, uh, that bums me out. Cause I really, really want to come work. in two yeah. weeks. Like hmm, you're eager, you're willing. Well, let, let's grab another cup of coffee and figure out why, you yep. know, why is it? Cause you're desperate and you can't make your bills or it's because you hate where you're at or you really love, let's figure out why you want to come work here. And I don't want to sell you on why you want to work here. You convince me that you believe in what we, we believe in then we'll ride together and you know, we, we won't be going through this that many times. Right. Especially now it's so easy for people to spray and pray with applications. Cool. So like the, the salary and pay question, right? Like I always put that in the job posting. So if that question came out on the first call, it's like, uh, Hey, you know what? Okay. Well, it will follow up. If yeah, we want to move didn't bother reading. You didn't pay, you didn't prepare for the yeah. meeting, especially if I'm hiring a salesperson. And then I structured every sales interview the same way, which is like, hey, so here's what we're going to cover on this call. But hey, before we jump in, the floor's yours. Great salespeople always come prepared with questions. They're already ready. They've already, you know, so if you can't dance, yeah. Yeah, I got red flags going already, right? <clears throat> yeah. So yep. you can start to quickly, but you learn those things, right? So you got to structure your interview in a way that then draws out the most important stuff. And and we stopped looking at resumes and we just said, are the people hungry, 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 humble, smart, gritty, competitive, and do they have extreme personal accountability? And how do I structure an interview that tells me those things? If you're competitive, I say, Dylan, what's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life? And you say, I don't know, I lost 100 pounds. I say, awesome. How do you top that? Competitive people always have goals. They're always ready working for the next thing, right? Yeah. And so you got to structure your interview to draw up those things, the intangible skill sets, because people are wired the way they're wired by the time they're 21 years old. So, you know, but nothing you put on your resume is really going to change your core attributes about who right. you are. Yep. And so that's what you're trying to draw in your interview. But you got to have that on paper because if you're tired mentally, yep. you're going to make some bad choices, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh, for sure. So we, we just started documenting everything. This is how we think about the hire. This is the questions that we ask. This is how we score them. This is the scorecard. They don't fit in the box, any red flags, boom. And you can, doesn't have to take six months. But I guess maybe if you're hiring for like a executive level position, yeah. it's different. Right? High paid yeah. sales folks, right? Yeah, guys exactly. are going to make six, seven, eight hundred grand a year. Yeah, they're going to take your time. Probably want to take your time a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll we'll land the plane here. Um, what what are the best recommendations? You read a lot of books, right? Yep. Books, podcasts that you think every entrepreneur should be consuming. Well, it depends on. Uh, entrepreneurs, like true entrepreneurs? Yeah, like people who are listening to this podcast who want to go start a business, are are running a business. What should they be listening to or reading? Honestly, man, like I've read How to Win Friends and Influence People probably 30 times. Mm. That is by far, that's something I read every year. It brings me back to the basics of just connecting with people. Yep. Understanding that we're human. No matter how, how much technology grows, human. Yep. And right? that's one of your superpowers. You know how to deeply connect with people. Yeah. Jeremy's probably the ultimate networker. You can connect with people. I'm not saying that you can't, yep. but this guy, you just feel like you're just on this one-on-one date. We're just yep. on a little canoe ride and you're just hey man, speaking in my eyes. How's a fishing there's, guy? They're singing in the background. Yeah. yeah. I get them painting a picture. Just fishing guy. You can't teach that though, right? Yeah. Like um, you can't teach hunger unless you take it away from someone. Right? Yeah. And then it, then it becomes a necessity. Right. But there's a certain things in, in our world you can't teach, right? You can't teach heart. There's mm-hmm. no way you either got it. You don't got it. Mm-hmm. You can't teach passion, right? Cause if someone doesn't believe in it, they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So those are the big things to me. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go two complete extremes okay. on, on my, so I'm a huge David Goggins fan. Okay, um, I go. think he can't is, hurt me. 
can't hurt me. And, uh, uh, his most recent one never is it, it's not never quit. Um, his most recent book, uh, which is phenomenal. I just listened to it on the whole flight to Pennsylvania and back. Uh, I mean, I there again, I can't read, right. I mean, I, I can, but I don't like it. Yeah. Um, if I'm sitting down to read something, I think of a hundred other things that I could be doing that are profitable or help my family or mow in the yard. But if I'm in a car, <laughs> I'm constantly listening to something that either motivates me. So like late nineties, early two thousands punk gets me going, nice. right? I get amped up before I go into sales calls, uh, or I'm listening to something that educates me. So anything David Goggins and a lot of people think he's so far extreme, but to me, I relate to the 300 pound guy that he was that had to cut a hundred and what was it? 120 pounds or 130 pounds just to make it, you know, to, uh, to go try out, to become a Navy SEAL. Like that's nuts. And he did it in three months. Yeah. Is it healthy? No, but it just, it, it shows that when push comes to shove, it's what you got to do. Right. And there's no excuses. And the complete opposite of that, I actually just went to a leadership seminar. Oh, maybe three weeks ago down in Denver. And there's a gentleman in Denver from New York. His name is Tommy Spaulding. So if you know, Tommy Spaulding, not look Tommy up. Um, uh, first book, not just who, you know, second book, the heart led leader is if you're an entrepreneur or want to start a business, or even if you're a leader inside of somebody else's business, the heart led leader is a phenomenal book on building culture around doing what's right, not doing what gets you money. Mm. Um, and if you end up leading from the heart and handle it that way, the money's going to come way more than just forcing people to do it for money. So I think those are the complete opposite know what it takes to, to get to where you want to be and then do it from the heart. And I think if you have both those attributes as, as an entrepreneur, you can't fail. Have you guys ever read ego is the enemy? Mm-mm. It's killer. It's true. Yeah. I probably listened to it five or six times. I drew, I do a lot of miles driving to Northern Wyoming, Eastern plains, Colorado mountains, all over just seeing clients. Yeah. But, um, um, what's his name? Ryan holiday wrote ego is the enemy and it, it is it's fantastic for any man or woman to listen to especially men mm. to listen to that are you know a players that are entrepreneurs they were probably phenomenal athletes or they're good athletes uh they performed at a high level ego is the enemy is it'll just bring you back to okay cool maybe i should check myself a little bit it's here. such a funny dynamic as an entrepreneur because you need to have a little ego right mm-hmm. that's be confident yeah but you can't let let it get too far ahead of you because it'll be your detriment for sure. Yeah. Like an ego is really just a shadow over a low self image, mm. right? You try to just cover it up. Mm. That's good. Right. Your insecurities that you have. Oh, 100%. And, and that's that, that, I can't remember who told me that years ago. I had a mentor um, that told me about, you know, just ego is just a, a shadow over low self image. But I'm um, like, that, this book seems like, that's legit. And he talks about Marcus Aurelius and most powerful man on the planet at the time. And he's writing, um, uh, what's it, what's the book called that he wrote that Marcus Aurelius wrote? I, I forgot, but, um, reflections, reflections, I believe is what it's called. And you know, he, the most powerful man on the planet. And he's just writing about simple things in life that he's, most people are not even aware of right now. They're too busy looking at their phone, yeah. doing this, right. Looking down. I can't, how many people just do this all the time? Just looking at their phone, right? Not looking up, saying hi to people, <laughs> yeah. right? I hate, I, I, hate, I hate being on my phone. That, that, I love just putting it down, just talking to people. Yeah. On that same note, one thing I, I learned from Tommy, and I'm glad, I mean, we'll, we'll stay connected too, plus he's a big hockey dad, right? So that, yeah. that goes well for me. <laughs> um, but he said, the average person lives, I think it's till 78, right? 78 years old. You meet 2.8 people 
whose lives you're going to impact on a daily basis, right? So you multiply number of days times 78 years, right? It's 80,000 people. So you're going to, you're going to come in and have an impact on 80,000 people. So when, when God comes calling, it's your last day and everybody wants to say goodbye, right? There's 37 stadiums in the United States that hold in or around right at 80,000 people. Okay. Uh, mile high is pretty darn close to it. Uh, Notre Dame go Irish, right? It's, it's got same, um, you're standing at center field, right? It's packed 80,000 people sold out for you to say goodbye. What's the noise? Are they cheering for you? Mm. Are they booing for you? Or is it silent? Because what Dylan said, you're, you're, you don't, they don't even know you because you've been buried in a phone. You haven't even communicated. So what do you want the noise to be on your, you know, stadium, sold out stadium, Taylor Swift tour, farewell. You mm. want them to be cheering for you? You want them to be thanking you? You want them to be yelling at you and screaming at you because you did something wrong? Or do you want it to be dead quiet because you made no impact at all? Damn. That's the, wow. For me, that's the big point of this podcast. That's it. My kids are going to watch this highlight reel one day. Yeah. It's going to have influence on them. Yep. For sure, right? They're going to know all the cool people that I was connected to. They're going to be able to take all these little nuggets that you guys are imparting, we're imparting. Yeah, and you're helping them. You give them a step up in life. Yeah, exactly. And they're going to know, like, dad swung for the fences. That's it. I love that. So did mom. Yeah, well, yeah. Mom did too. Daddy can't swing, swing for the fences. If Dad's got mom the, ain't holding it down. Dad's so. got the orange bat. Mom's got the yellow wiffle ball bat, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 I would be an invalid. The house would be a tra- just train wreck. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'd be back to my college days, just Correct. piles of laundry, Correct. like sniffing it. Yeah. yeah, this smells pretty clean today. <laughs> Sat out for a few days. It's uh, good. So uh, true. All right. Last thing. What do you think separates those who become successful entrepreneurs from those who give up, quit? or never get started? Uh, I can share on that. I, I would say for for a, a married man or woman, their spouse mm. being extremely, understanding really what the goal of their, their spouse is mm. and just being tremendously supportive. Yeah. like that, I think that is by far the most important. Keeping the kids, uh, whether it's dad keeping the kids or mom keeping the kids, uh, mom's working a job, dad's working, building a business, mom's building a business. Like you got to be unified as a family. Now, I've met a lot of really successful um, single men, single women, right? But th- their baby's been their business. Yeah. So they, they don't go home. Like, that's their business, right? They go from working from 12 hours a day to then hanging with partners or uh, peers or carriers or whatever it may be. And they're entertaining and they're, they're out doing that. But it's not, they're not a married couple. Yeah. That, to me, that's not a life. No, no, it's tough. And eventually they'll, they'll probably meet their spouse, uh, like a lot of them that I know have, and they have wonderful lifestyles because they've got the money and time now. Right. right? They built their company. Sure. But they're, beautiful. Having, they're having kids at like 50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Or if a dude married a gal that's, you know, 15 years, 20 years younger than they're, sure. he's 50 and he's the granddad at, at the uh, high school graduation. Like, hey, it's your granddad. Knows my dad. Dad. Uh, yeah. Uh, we all, we all know guys of that. We love them, right? Yeah. Those guys are amazing and get those girls are amazing. But, uh, your relationship and your support with your spouse, that way they're not chirping at you yeah. because you're working hard and you're putting in hours. That is, that is the most important thing. I, I think. I'd agree. I say there's three type of people, right? So the, the person that was given, the business, right? Whether it's second, third, fifth generation, there's someone that has acquired business that has had the means to buy it or guys like Dylan and I that have earned it, 
right? We started, and that comes from an upbringing, I think. Yep. Uh, and the guys that are willing to, guys and gals, uh, that are willing to fight for it because they've fought for it to get to where they are to start are going to fight till the end and we're never going to give up, right? Um, and to, I think to the theme of this this podcast, partnership. I mean, to Dylan's point, your spouse is your number one partner. And yeah. then the people you do business with are pretty darn close. I mean, you don't sleep together, but there are times you sleep together, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to share share one bedroom room when you're traveling and when you're fighting, you're kicking. The people that you do business with, don't call them clients. Consider them partners because yeah. if they're just clients, they don't mean anything to you and it won't be there long term. You create a partnership with the people that you're doing business with and the people that you're doing business for, um, you're not going to fail. I mean, you you take care of them like you would take care of your family and it just, it'll last as long as you want to work for. Mm, so good. Well, I appreciate you guys tremendously. I'm thankful for our friendship and uh, you dropped some knowledge bombs today. I can't wait. One year from now, can I have you guys back? Yeah. Uh, I just want to hear the story about how you guys crushed it over 2023 to 2024. Yeah. Okay. Be fun. Cool. Thanks a lot. This has been awesome. You bet, guys. Thanks. Until the next one.